Coming up on S4C. Whoa, we got a bit of cycling action. Who likes jumping on the bike, heading for the hills, getting a little sweat on? And even if you don't, do you like watching people doing that? Well, S4C have got the highlights for you. Coverage Tour de France starts this coming week. So tune in uh, for, for footage, highlights every day uh, to see who will come out victorious. Someone from Team Sky. Will it be the Welshman? Big Geraint. Big Geraint Thomas. Is this the year he breaks out? Makes himself a candidate. It's going to be tough with that big froomy. Big, long, lanky froomy. He's a good, solid, long man. So, Tour de France highlights S4C this coming week. And also, don't forget, we have got Cardiff's last friendly game before they head into their season in the Premier League against Real Betis on August the 4th. Scorio coverage. August the 4th, Cardiff against Real Betis. Stay tuned. He likes to tell you if anyone will listen his seven caps, his chocolate knees, his distinct lack of pace. Now it's a long shot, but in the long run, your blues will be long gone with the long man and the long Coming up on this episode of the Longman's Football World, we have got the one and only Mr. Danny Gabidon. 49 caps for Wales, um, a really top, top class career, uh, playing at the highest level for many years. Uh, West Ham, Crystal Palace, obviously came through the ranks at Cardiff, broke into the first team at Cardiff. And uh, just his contribution for Wales in general, really, his, his demeanour on the pitch. Um, his, his coolness, calmness. So looking forward to having a chat with him, finding out a little bit more about him um, to find out what makes him tick. Because uh, Gabs is a guy who I'm slowly getting to know be better and better as we work together in the, uh, in the media industry. So I'm sure we'll touch on bits and pieces from that world as well. Hopefully you guys enjoy this conversation. This is Danny Gabidon. Hey, good. Daniel Gabadon, we're uh, two very fatigued men. Aren't we? <laughs> I gotta say I'm a bit tired, but uh, this this beer's uh, gonna sort me right out. I think um, we've, we've we've met up. We've had a little round of golf. Yep. The plan was to uh, do the podcast before and then head out on the course so that we didn't waste conversation. But uh, you know, whoever whoever booked the golf <laughs> got, got it wrong, mate. <laughs> 
I'll have to take responsibility, mate. Um, you know, tofftimes.co.co, whatever they are. Um, Go on, expose them. Get yeah, it right. They, um, they led me a merry dance, to be fair. But um, all was well that ends well. You had to sort it out in the end, to be fair, didn't you? So, yeah. Uh, That's a pull of trumps, but we've, we've wasted all that chat, mate. You know, no. we've, we've just done five hours looking for, <laughs> looking for our balls. The standards weren't great, were they? It was erratic from both of us, yeah. I think we played better the other day, didn't we? We played in uh, the golf day for Cancer Research Wells, I think. Had a little we chat. it better, didn't we? Yeah, I think we did. Fatigue, well, has, did. To, fatigue has to come into it. <laughs> you know, you've had a you've had an early start with the little in. Yeah. What time? Four a.m. I was up. Four a.m. Mm. I've had a, a rough night. The dog was up all night, and then had to leave my house at five past five this morning. Oh, there you go. Just mate. to head down, there you but go. no excuses, you? like no excuses. <laughs> you, you've uh, you've picked up golf recently. I see on like on mm. your Twitter and stuff. You what you like watching golf? Yeah. Yeah, I do actually. Um, I probably watch a lot more than I play, to be fair. But I kind of trying to make a. Um, a concerted effort this summer to try and get my handicap down a little bit, play a little bit more. So I've been trying to go down the range a little bit and just hit a few balls and suss a few things out. Um, it's not really helping at the minute, <laughs> but um, I'd like to just be able to, yeah, play consistent, just hit a consistent ball at the minute. I'm nowhere near that, but um, I do enjoy it. do enjoy watching it as well, yeah. So what are you thinking? Retired from playing football, looking for another hobby? Um, or, or was it something when you were playing football you you thought I'd, I'd like I'm looking forward to retiring so I can play a little bit more yeah, golf. Yeah, it was probably a little bit more that way. Um, I'd never played regularly when I was playing, um, whether that was just because I wasn't allowed, or you know maybe you know with my injuries, my back and stuff, I probably thought maybe you know I shouldn't play too regular. Um, just getting the time to do, I suppose, because. It is four or five hours around, and I think I was probably more one of them. Yeah, I thought when I finished playing and I got more time on my hands, I'll uh, I'll try and play a bit more. But to be fair, that I've been I think it's three seasons now I've been retired, and it hasn't happened until the last few weeks really. Um, you know, I've been quite busy with you know um, media stuff, and um, as soon as I finished playing, um, I had my first child come along, so. Um, golf's kind of gone on the back burner again so I'm trying to like my girlfriend to be fair she was like look you should play a bit more she got me like a round for my birthday at, at Bowood I still haven't used that so she's the one kind of encouraging me trying to she wants you out the house yeah she mate. does I think she just wants me out of the house I think so um there's no way a physio a physio wouldn't have been happy if you had trouble with your back that, that's what you, your main trouble while playing was yeah. your back yeah yeah there's no that's way the physio lets you even if you're back playing in the team, they'd want you recovering and yeah. getting ready for the next game. Yeah. Um, well, I wouldn't tell him to be fair, but <laughs> but no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be ideal to be fair. Um, obviously, playing 18 holes and you know walking or whatever. If you do that, and just the stress that it does put put on your kind of your lower back with the swing, um, it wouldn't have been good for me. Um, and when I did kind of play. You know, I would feel it kind of then the next day, kind of thing. It'd take me probably you know a day or two then to recover from that, which wouldn't be ideal, really. So, and then you'd um, have to go in and lie and say, "Ah, oh, my yeah, back's still back stiff, stiff from training the yeah, other day." Yeah, yeah, stiff from whatever we did in the gym on Tuesday or whatever. So, um, so now I didn't really play that regular, um, which was a yeah disappointment. So I do like to to play golf, but um, it just wasn't really you know possible really at the time. So. Is, is there anything you regret, like off the top of your head now? not doing while you played so for example 
I lived up in Scotland. Like now, I like walking the mountains. Yeah. I lived within an hour of Ben Nevis, for example. Didn't walk up it. And I look back now and I think, I wish I would have. But at mm. the time, you're stuck in that little football bubble. You concentrate on the next training session. You're almost restricted. You can't do everything you want to. Yeah. Even though you know, you're a young man, that's almost the time that you should be doing these things. Yeah. Um, I think we probably all do, especially... Um, you know, sports people, if you're in that kind of privileged position, you're doing well. I think you kind of end up taking a lot of things for granted. Um, like, when I had a period, um, when I became single, I was living in London when I was playing for West Ham and Crystal Palace, and and I had kind of five years where I was single, basically. And oh. Well, oh. no, it was, <laughs> I'm not like that, to be fair. No, it was good because... That's when I kind of started doing a lot of things that I never would have done before, kind of going seeing the sights and um, I'd go on holiday on my own and things like that. Um, I don't think I probably appreciated just little things enough. I, I, you know, like you say, like walking at mountains or you know seeing the, the sunrise in the morning, things like that. Those are things you kind of take for granted, but I never really. I think I'm quite a. I don't know, how would I put it? Um, I don't know, I just don't maybe appreciate those little things enough. But I think since finishing playing and stuff, I, I think about those things kind of a lot more. Um, I think it's easy to get into that kind of situation um, when you're playing all the time, everything's kind of done for you. Um, like the little basic things in life you, you, you kind of forget about. So um, I think coming out of the game, you certainly think a lot more about those those things. They mean a lot more to you, I suppose. So what sort of things would you do in London? Like it, just a normal, general touristy stuff? Yeah, like just see, you know, see things I'd never seen before. When I initially moved to London um, from Cardiff, um, it was just a daunting place to me. I didn't know nothing about it. Um, you know, I, I went to West Ham, I was living in Essex. You know, um, Epping was the last stop on on the Central Line on the Tube. Right. It took about an hour twenty minutes just to get into Central London. I can remember the first time I actually tried to drive into Central London because I didn't know about the trains and all that. And it must have taken me about two hours to get into Central London. And I'm thinking I can't even go shopping now or whatever. Like I'm so tired. Um, so you signed for West Ham, thinking yeah. London club. I'm living in London. Is, is yeah. Is the is what you think? Yeah. yeah. Like me and James, we didn't know anything really about um, where West Ham was and stuff, and London in general, where we would have to live. We were thinking we're gonna have to live in Central London, or this is gonna be awful. Um, but then obviously we we realised a lot of the players kind of lived in Essex, and the training ground was Essex Way and stuff, and um, so we lived out there. But it was. The first few years of me being there, I didn't really go into London that much because I didn't enjoy it. Um, didn't know about the tube and how to do all that and, and stuff. It was only then when, as I said, when I became um, single, I was just on my own. That's when I started to, to do a lot more stuff. Um, even, you know, I'd just go to restaurants on my own, you know, go to the cinema. I'd go take holidays on my own, things like that. Um, so I've become more accustomed to London and appreciated a lot more than I think. So. I think I'm, I'm quite similar. I'm real comfortable in my own company. Yeah. So 
I could play around the golf by myself. Yeah. Uh, if I'm away, I, I can go for food by myself. Yeah. Been to cinema by myself. Yeah. Not not everyone can do that. No, but would you, you then go in the strange? Some people do though. Don't they? Would you go to the dressing room and say, because the, you know the football dressing room is a is a tough place. Gosh, if you go in yeah. and say, ah, I've been up to London Eye by myself yesterday, <laughs> you know they're going to mock you, aren't they? So you've definitely yeah, kept you all that to yourself, haven't you? No, I just say, yeah. I mean, I'm sure plenty of the lads when I was at Crystal Palace knew that. I'd been on all day on my own and stuff, um, but I'm sure I probably got a bit of stick at the time, but um, it's just one of those things. I, I just thought to myself, well, what am I gonna do if I don't kind of do this on my own? I'm just gonna be sat in the house or whatever, doing nothing really. So, you know, just kind of get yourself out there and, you know, experience kind of life a little bit. So, um, but yeah, the, the, the football dressing room can be, as we both know, um, a harsh place to be with regards to the Batman and stuff. So um, I probably wouldn't tell them everything. <laughs> or I'd probably tell maybe one of the lads and then I'm sure he'd probably he would then Spreads tell the like rest. Yeah, yeah. yeah, as you know. So um, Even if you read a book. Oh my yeah. God, Gabs reads books. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even have a telly at one point, I don't think. Towards the end of my career. Now I like, you know, I get ribbed on social media for watching like Love Island and all this stuff. But the last kind of couple of maybe two or three years I didn't even have a telly in my I didn't watch TV I weren't interested in watching TV or nothing I would sit and like read or listen to music or or go out and, and eat and stuff like that um, it's only since retiring and, and starting a family and stuff now I've found myself plonked in front of the TV in the evening watching really bad tea, car crash TV so. listen if Love Island doesn't get a BAFTA there's something <laughs> wrong with the world mate what a show it is it's, it's underestimated I think mate but in terms of, would you see, would you have classed yourself as completely different to your stereotypical footballer then? If that, if that was your life, that you'd go home, no TV, you just, you'd read, uh, maybe gain a little bit of knowledge yourself, whatever you'd like to do, would you see that stereotypical footballer as something completely different to yourself, or just see yourself as a chilled character? Um, I'd probably say I was, I've always been kind of a chilled character, um, but my character probably changed a lot as I got older, um, like I was more like that towards the end of my career. I'd probably say for the majority of it, I was you know, the stereotypical okay. kind of footballer really, not too much different to anyone else. But um, but certainly towards the end, um, I would say I started seeing things in a different way or um, trying to do things I would never would have probably done before and stuff like that. So um, it's... Um, it's a difficult, it's a strange kind of bubble to be in as a footballer, you know. Um, it's very easy to get into a certain routine and um, only concentrate on your football um, and let that kind of take over your whole life, really. And um, it's only kind of then that you realise that when you come out of the game almost that, you know, the basic things in life you you probably don't even know because yeah. you haven't had to do them or um, everything's kind of been done for you. So... Um, I think, you know, you get some footballers who get ribbed in the dressing room for being that way, you know, reading and wanting to educate themselves and stuff like that, because a lot of footballers are not like that. But, um, you know, I do think it is is the way to go, especially when you get towards the end of your career, because then I think it kind of makes that transition back into normal life almost a lot, a lot easier. But it's the same, what we're talking about there is maybe off the pitch. It's the same on the pitch, in my experience, where... If you were the guy who wanted to do extra training, it wasn't as if 
the majority would see, oh, look, look at Gabs there doing extra work. They would class you as busy. Yeah. <laughs> and what's, what's Gabs doing there? You, you know, you, you're trying to improve yourself yeah. so that you can get the next move or, or wherever it may be. Yeah. And, you know, that dressing room would just be a cut in place. If you step out of line and not toe the line, if you like, like everybody else, you're the oddball, aren't you? It's very true. Um, you know, it is a kind of a team game football, but it is very kind of competitive and, and individual within that as well. So, um, you know, if you're seen doing something slightly different or um, trying to get an advantage or, you know, you, the rest of the, your teammates could could kind of give you a lot of stick and it can actually stop you from wanting to do those things because you don't actually want to get that abuse from your teammates and stuff. Strong, so, yeah, you've got to be very strong mentally. Um, and I think it's those kind of players that that get by and, and get where they, they want to be, those single-minded guys that don't care about, you know, the stick that they're going to get from their teammates. They're just totally focused on um, developing themselves. Um, it's funny you say that because I was speaking to a young lad just a couple of days ago who's, who's just got a pro contract at, at Bournemouth. And these were exactly the same things we were saying. Um, you know, put yourself out there, do the extra training, uh, work on your weaknesses. Um, don't care what any of the other players say if they see you out there half and half the training, kind of doing your work. You've got to be really single-minded and, and kind of focused and, uh, you know, you're doing something different almost. So a manager looks at you and says, look, oh, look, he's, you know, he's still out there training. He's working on on a weak part of his game, doing something that sticks in it in kind of a manager's mind. So, um but it's very, as you say, you have to be very kind of thick-skinned with that, though, because it is a, a football is a very harsh environment, um, and yeah, players can can give you a lot of stick just for yourself trying to kind of develop yourself and make yourself a better player, which is, is crazy, really, when you think about it. Was the thick skin something that you developed? <laughs> Did you always have it? Were you always the guy in the dressing room who wouldn't be phased by anything, uh, or was it something over time that you would build up? Like um, for, for me, Gabs, to start with, I can remember if it was the dressing room, same in school really, if I was exposed in front of the classroom or the banter was pointed towards me, the abuse, I'd, I'd enjoy it, I'd take it, I wouldn't have a problem, but I could feel my face blushing. <laughs> I could feel myself going red like. Yeah. And then over time, I wasn't fussed, but I wouldn't, get, I wouldn't blush either. It was yeah. just, you could say whatever you wanted to me. Yeah. You know? Um, I think I've always kind of been a, a laid back kind of guy. Um, you know, I'd be lying if I said, you know, if things had happened to me, it wouldn't affect me. But I was kind of the kind of person who wouldn't want to show that to other people. So um, I would just try and hide it, really. Um, I think as a young player, I would let probably things affect me more. Um, say if I had a bad game or something like that, you know, that would stick with me for about you know, two or three days, I'd be really like annoyed about it or I'd be down about it. But I think as I kind of progressed with my career and got more experienced and played more games, I kind of learned to brush a bad game off a lot quicker and um, look forward to the next game or realise kind of, you know, thinking kind of negative um, for a period of time wouldn't really help my cause kind of thing. So I think that was something I kind of learned with experience but as a as a youngster I was quite shy and you know I wasn't the most vocal in the dress room and stuff like that I kind of keep myself to myself really um, 
you know, you're kind of hoping as you see, you're not getting that stick off the senior pros and stuff because I wouldn't really know at that age because I, I was quite shy. I wouldn't know what to say to to kind of fight my corner anyway. So um, I've probably become a lot more kind of outspoken and more confident as I've got older, I would say. Um, but I suppose I had more of an inner kind of confidence, really. Yeah. I didn't really show it um, in my personality, but... Um, Inside, I, I was always quite confident, um, kind of in my own kind of ability, and um, you know, having that kind of determination to want to um, get where I wanted to go. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's difficult, difficult as, um, as a young player, certainly now, um, being in that kind of dress room, um, trying to make it as a, a professional footballer now. It's 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 really difficult, much more than you know when we were young lads. I think uh, we are, we were given more opportunities to to play and stuff and and to progress. But now these young lads, um, it's really cutthroat, um, which is hence why you know I'm trying to um, give a lot of these young players advice about how to be at that young age, how focused you have to be, how thick-skinned you have to be, as we we said um, with regards to stick from your teammates. Your, your managers and, and what have you. Um, so the, yeah, the game the game has changed so much. Yeah. It's it's a bit of both. Like you, you're saying that there, and and it's true. The opportunities in the first team become less and less. If I think if you're a player coming up from the youth team of that of that side, if that makes sense. Yeah. Whereas, yes, there's less opportunities for you to break into the first team, but there's more opportunities on a grander scale for young players. Because I see football as a young man's game now. Yeah. Now there's more of them, which makes it harder to get that spot, if you like. But I find that gone are the days where a team would pack pack itself with six or seven senior players. You know, managers would think, "Oh, we need senior players. We need experienced lads in here." I think it's flipped now. They don't want too many of those boys who who can't run like they used to. It's it's an energy game. They want those young players with maybe just one or two experienced mm. heads. Um, I tend to agree, to be fair. I think um, if you're an experienced player now in this game, um, it's become a lot more difficult. Um, it used to be more about the senior pros, yes, and a few of the younger players then coming through, but I think it has it has changed a lot. It is a young man's game. The game's become quicker, more athletic. Everybody wants legs and pace and... Fuck's sake. Yeah, which... <laughs> <sighs> Which is no good for us. We've got out probably at the right time, to be <laughs> yeah. fair. Um, but the game has gone that way. So, yeah, you could probably say there's more opportunity for these players. But on the flip side, there probably isn't because the pressure that's on these managers now to to win promotion, to win trophies, um, to finish as high as they can in the league, it, it makes it difficult for managers then to throw an inexperienced youth team player into yeah. the into the team or to have the time to develop a young player because I mean a manager might have five, six games, he doesn't get a win and he's gone. So it's hard, I think, in this country to for a manager to plan long term mm. now. I think in other countries it's much easier. You look at like the German league, the Bundesliga, the way they set their league up to promote young players through you know managers basically coach on the training ground and they have like a kind of director of football that brings in the players so the manager then immediately 
has more time. He's not under as much pressure really because he's just working with the players that he's been given. So um, there's that time to kind of develop players, which is why you're seeing like a lot of English young lads are going over to the Bundesliga now because mm. you know they're not stupid. They look at it and saying. England are winning everything at youth team level, yeah. but these young lads are not being given an opportunity in their league. So we'll just go and take them and bring them over to Bundesliga. Yeah, I've seen it. I've read a few articles, yeah. and I forget the players' names. You, you, you're probably aware of one or two, um, and it is exactly that. Mm. Whereas it used to be that, however long ago, British teams would look abroad. Well, they they obviously do. They look abroad. But who's looking at these young players? Yeah. And the German teams have got it sustainably. These 100%. 17, 18 year olds are getting games over 100%. there. 100%. All the, you've got the, the young German boys, uh, I think the league is kind of set where, I don't know if there's a certain amount of the youth age have to be in the squad or something like that. But, I mean, they changed everything, obviously, after you know, Germany had, had limited success um, in the national team. and. They just structured the whole league around bringing players through for the national team and they had success off the back of that. But at the minute now, you're seeing where England are, are ruling all the, the young age groups up yeah. to the kind of the 21. So they're now tapping into that market where, you know, likes of Luckman at Everton who went to, to Leipzig, he wasn't playing at Everton. So they're going and taking all the best English players and, and bringing them over to the Bundesliga to help their team. So. I think that's where the Premier League needs to go a little bit for me if you're going to want to see young, good young players kind of coming through. So it's difficult for these young boys. It's so difficult now. Well, back when we were playing, I think the difficult age was, you know, when you did your YTS and then getting that pro contract meant everything. You know, you put your life and soul into getting that pro contract. But now I think pro contracts are kind of given out quite yeah. easily now to most um, young players but it's that period then when you get your pro contract then making that jump then from under 23s to first team that's where you're seeing so many kind of young lads now getting released and difficult then to difficult to find clubs then because you don't have the experience of playing in the first team um, lower league managers are coming in and looking at and thinking well he doesn't have that first team experience can I play that 18 year old yeah. that centre half who I've seen playing 23s football and he's bringing everything down in his chest and trying to play out from the back and you know I know I'm going to be playing against a you know a canny experienced striker next week who will will bully that young centre yeah. half every time the ball goes up to him so they're kind of stuck in a rock and a hard place those young and boys. also the, and also the players are being treated so well at these bigger clubs that they're almost looking yeah. down on the, cl yeah. the clubs in League 2, League 1 that they have to go mm. to to earn their living. Yeah. They think, oh, I'm not going there. Yeah. You it's know? true. So true. These young lads, a lot of them get big contracts early um, in their development. A lot of them not even you know, playing in the first team. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy and it changes your whole mindset then. So suddenly then, no, I don't want to go to, to League 1. On loan. I don't want to go to League Two. I'll, I'll sit on my money. I'll play twenty threes. Have the, an easy life. Before you know it, that two year contract's kind of passed passed you by. You haven't really developed, and you know the club's letting you go. So um, certainly that side of things as well doesn't help. The money side of things has changed the game so much as well. So. Did you sense when you were still playing um, that shift? We're talking about on the pitch. You know, 
uh, energy, wanting legs in the team, maybe less senior players in a, in a, in a, in a starting eleven. Yeah. Did you sense that change in the dressing room as well? Where, from my exam, my, my uh, personal experience, started off the senior players are the life and soul. You know what they say goes, and then by the end, you're looking around thinking the young lads have got a lot more power in the dressing room as well. They're more vocal. They're, they're more, well, they're, they're eager to let their voices be known. They're less shy. And it was almost as if there wasn't that divide between mm. senior and, and young players. Yeah, I don't think there is probably any more. Um, They're both as valuable as each yeah, other. They if probably not, are. The young yeah. players are more valuable. They are. I think the young lads are coming into that first team environment and they're, they're, they're fearless. They're not bothered. They're not um, as respectful of the senior pros. I think, you know, when we were coming through, you did your YTS, you cleaned your senior pros' boots, that the respect was kind of there. You looked how they conducted themselves um you watched them train you know you probably are you know over the other side of the field with your age group and you you're watching the the older lads there and thinking that's where i want to be so there's those kind of stages but now these young lads they're earning more money than a lot of the senior pros and stuff and they come into the dress room and you know they're fearless they don't have um that respect levels not probably there as much. Did you um, crave that respect? Did you think, well, what's going on here? Or were you more, like I, I didn't play past 30, but at that age I was seen as a senior pro. I looked like it with my gray hair. I certainly played like it with my dodgy knee. Couldn't run, so they probably thought I was older than I was. But I didn't think, you boys should be respecting me. I just enjoyed these young players coming in the dressing room. I almost lived my life through them. Yeah. Their stories of nights out and yeah. stuff like that. I'm thinking, yeah. oh, go on, Keeping the boys. You young. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course, it does yeah. keep you young, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I didn't crave the respect, um, but I did think that young players should, that should just be in them kind of thing. So it, it is a bit surprising when you, you, you kind of don't see that because that's how I was kind of brought up to be, yeah. really. So I didn't crave it from younger players but I just thought you know if you'd see an incident where there was an example of that you just think what the like that's not how you should be acting like yeah. there, was a, there was an incident when I was at Crystal Palace and we played I think it was Burnley away and a couple of the young lads travelled in the squad and they weren't um, I don't think they made the bench but um, I think the kit man after the game he was getting all the kit together and stuff and I think he asked one of the young lads to take a skip to the bus or whatever. Yeah. And he's kind of like, you know, sucked his teeth for, you know, all these young lads doing yeah. stuff. And he's like, you know, I'm not taking a skip to the bus. I'm, you know, I'm first team. I ain't taking a skip to the bus. And this is a young lad. He hasn't, he's hardly made an appearance. He didn't even make the bench, I don't think, that day for the game. Yeah. And that's the kind of attitude he was showing. And, and to be fair, a couple of senior pros got hold, got wind of what was said. And, and the, you know, he went back to the manager and the, and the, the boy got told then on, on the Monday morning kind of thing. So um, it has changed a lot. You do see things, or I did see things where I thought, wow, you know, I never would it's have different. done that. Yeah, it's You're different. Slap on you. But then on the flip side as well, what you said there, um, it was good having the young lads around you as well because it kind of kept you young and energised. There's room and, for both, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and you fed off them as well. So. I, I definitely sensed that. Like that, I, I didn't really realise until afterwards because you don't, you almost don't see yourself as that 30-year-old or whatever it may be. Age in a dressing room is almost irrelevant if you mm. can fit in and talk to all sorts of different lads, different ages. 
it keeps you young. It's only mm. when you step away from it, you know, and you work with different people in different environments, you think, well, being a footballer did keep you young because you'd maybe meet a guy you were in school with, same age as you, and he's acting like a 30 or a 34 year old. Mm. How, how you saw them when you were a young kid, whereas you've been in that dressing yeah. room just, yeah. you know, causing mayhem. It is quite a childish environment, really, yeah, it's isn't it? it's real childish, yeah. but in a good way. In a good way, though, yeah. I mean, it's the banter that you have in a football dressing room. I mean, you couldn't go and sit in your local pub with, you know, a few of your mates or whatever and, and say the same kind of things because a lot of people would kind of take it the wrong way or wouldn't understand what you're on about or... Yeah. It is a totally different environment, a totally different language almost at, at times, you know, some of the words we use and the things we kind of come out with. So um, it's, um, yeah, these young boys now coming through, it's, it's difficult for them, but they do have a lot more power than they ever had before. Um, and, you know, the senior players, I think, even at the likes of, kind of Man United and now where you look at their dress room and you've seen the likes of kind of Jesse Lingard I think and you know, the likes of Pogba yeah. I'm saying those are the boys kind of running the dress room yeah. now because a lot of those senior pros now the Roonies you know Carrick's just gone Rio all these boys that used to police the dress room now they've all gone and a lot of these young players have, have come into the squad and they almost have the power now over the senior players. You maybe yeah. got two or three senior players now and a, a lot of young players who all, who all seem to have that kind of power. And you're almost in the minority now as a, as a senior player. And you think, well, what can I do about that? I can't really, I've got no one really back in my corner here because these young boys, there's, there's so many of them now. So um, what can I really do? You know, that there's been a kind of a momentum shift, I think, in, in the power. Have, have you found it tough? You know, we're talking about the dressing room keeping us young. Have you found that change to be difficult? What, coming out of the game? Coming out of the um, game, coming out from, from a dressing room where, you know, you fitted in with lads from all different ages to then stepping into mm. not real, real work because, you know, we work in the media, we watch football, but you, you're talking to different people. Like, I would see... See, almost as a skill that I think that I possess, you're almost, you have to be like a chameleon. So I can talk to the 20 year old who's been on a night out and had a brilliant night out and got steaming and he's ended up back with a girl and you have that chat with him. And then you have a chat with a 50 year old journalist, you know, straight journalist who, who likes, loves football and that's yeah. it, yeah. you know? But it can be tough because you can miss that dressing room and that, that's why a lot, of, a lot yeah. of former footballers really struggle. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not easy coming out of the game, especially if you don't have, um, you know, a plan of what you want to do um, in the future. I think if you, if there can be that lull where you're not sure, maybe you go a couple of years coming out of the game and you you don't really do some. I can see why um, you know players go off the rails and and and, and do bad things um, because it is a big change in your life. I would say. Um, you know, you're so used to having that routine every day. That's probably the biggest thing, the routine. You know, you wake up in the morning and you're like, well, actually, it's nine o'clock now. I would be yeah. getting my car now and going into training or two o'clock, I'd probably be in the gym now. And you can sit at home kind of twiddling your thumbs a bit thinking, what's the purpose of my life here almost now, you know? So um, it can be difficult. Um, I'd probably say 
coming out of the game, I'm I'm a probably a better talker now than when I was in the game. Because um, you have to mingle with different people. Yeah, I, I think now I'm probably better at, I can hold a conversation better with people from different walks of life. I think when I was a footballer, if I wasn't talking football. With a footballer? Yeah, with a footballer probably, then I probably wouldn't know what to, to say to, you know, someone from a different kind of walk of life, because that's what your life is, you know, for 24 hours a day, really. So I think coming out of the game, um, probably going into the media side of things as I've done and um, doing the, the, the radio stuff, the TV stuff has probably helped me to come out of my shell, talk more um, and, you know, learn more and meet different people as well, you know, within that industry as well. Um, so that I think I probably speak better now than, you know, I well, a lot, I know I do, I know I do. I, I, I'm a lot more confident speaking now and holding a conversation with someone from a different walk of life than I ever was when I was, you know, playing football. I'd be the same, you know, I'd almost, I think, I don't know how much abuse you would have got through your career, but when you get abused by people, whether it's social media, or you, you know the abuse is there, whether it's mm. in the middle of a game and the crowd is abusing you. And then all of a sudden, if you're in a pub or a cafe and someone wants to talk football, there's that little voice in your head that's thinking, I wonder what you were like on Saturday when I gave that ball away. Was it you that was shouting <laughs> abuse? When, that, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you have a little bit of a, I did, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder in that I, I disregarded other people's views because I thought, not that I knew better, but I'm living that, that life. Who mm. are you to judge me? Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, when I was playing, I, I wasn't really a big media person. I never did loads of interviews and stuff, and certainly towards the Would back. you refuse them? Um, yeah, I just wouldn't, wasn't really tell, bothered tell about Tell the media officer, yeah. uh, I'm not doing it. No, yeah, I do little bits and pieces, but I wasn't really too bothered. And certainly towards the end of my career as well, I just didn't bother doing any at all, because I just thought, what's the point? Like, to speak to a young lad as well, <laughs> so instead of me, like, what do you want me to say? I got nothing to say, really. So, um, so I didn't really, do that much as I, as I said as well I was more of a shy person as well yeah so um it wasn't something that I craved that much but kind of coming into that side of things after playing it's interesting to actually meet a lot of those guys as well on a personal level those guys that were interviewing you for five minutes ten minutes after a game um and you think why did he ask me that question or, or I don't like him or he's always got an angle in but you don't actually kind of get to know those people personally Yeah. so that's been quite good coming on uh, the media side of things actually being able to sit down with a lot of these guys and get to know them on a personal level and what they're actually really like and being able to kind of come to my own conclusions about a lot of those guys as well instead of you know 10 minutes after a game where you're thinking oh he's giving me a bad review on a, on a Monday giving me a 5 out of 10 or whatever or, or he's asked me some dodgy questions there or, or he was harsh on my performance there so so that's kind of been a nice thing as well to get to know a lot of the media guys on a, on a personal level as well. So. Have you kept all that information stored in your head you know because we're, <laughs> we're working with these guys all the time now yeah. is there something you know that you remember this guy 
I remember when this guy wrote this, but it's okay. I'll I'll, I'll keep it to myself. Um, and it no, might come out after one night out. Not really. Not really. But I know, like rats. When I used to play for Wales, rats used to give me like a hard time. I know he, and, and maybe some of it was justified. To be fair. So I always used to kind of think like, oh, you know, he doesn't like me, rats. How, how would you find that out then? Someone would tell Someone you. Someone would tell me, or maybe I would hear it back. Maybe if I'd listened to, you know, watch the game or whatever back or whatever on a rerun or something like that. But um, that was the impression I always kind of got. So like, it was good then to obviously come on to the media side of things after playing. And realize that Rat is just a yeah. miserable bastard all the time. <laughs> yeah, who farts all the time, yeah. Um, so it was nice to actually just speak to him on a normal level kind of thing and get to know the, the person. And then you actually think, well, and realize, well, actually, you know, he's, he's, he's actually a nice guy. And then you actually see the job and what it entails as well. And, and realize maybe why you have to be a certain way sometimes and say a certain thing sometimes as well. So, um, and it's, and it's maybe flipped now from a situation where, you know, Rat is regarded as one of the best center halves that played for Wales. Yeah. He's judging you maybe putting himself in your position. What would he do? Yeah. And now you're almost going full circle. You're that guy, yeah. you know, and a Chris Mepham comes into the team. He's yeah. inexperienced. That might be you putting that, passing that judgment onto him. Yeah. Now it could be, um, and I kind of found myself, you know, saying a lot of those things. Maybe Rats were saying about me yeah. this season. I mean, you know, Chris Mepham watching Swansea a lot this season. I've said a lot about Alfie Mawson. A lot of it's been good. Some of it's been not good at times and stuff. So, you know, I've come into that position as well. That Rats has, has been in for a long time, um, doing the media stuff as well. So, so I've come come to kind of understand that that's what you obviously have to do as well as part of your job and stuff and so like yeah you know I, I don't hold anything against him that he said negative I've said plenty of negative stuff in my three seasons or whatever it is I've been doing media stuff so um, it's just how it is you know it's what you have to do so let's go back then uh, you make that journey from Cardiff uh, where you're a young player you're playing for Wales at the time and you move to West Ham you and Ginge and you were seen as, you you were the majority, come on, let's be honest. What was the transfer fee? You were, you were a big chunk of that, well, weren't I think it was... Ginge was on your coattails, surely. fee, it was something like 3.7 million. Um, but I think it got... It got said that James went for 2.1 and I went for like 1. Is that but, right? Um, I thought it was the other way around. It was the other way around. Ah, okay, but, there you um, go. I think they kind of did that sneakily because I think there was a sell-on clause from West Brom, which was my first club. Right. So, um, obviously, if they said I went for a million, yeah, yeah, sell-on yeah. clause would have been less. So, um, so yeah, I went for two million. James was one, I think. It was about 3.2 million or something. Like that. And the two of you turn up at West Ham. Yeah. Were you good mates at Cardiff or was it like, oh, we, you know, he's, he's all right, Ginge, but then all of a sudden you're stuck with him going to West Ham? <laughs> Now we were good. We were good mates, to be fair. Like James was obviously a young lad, kind of coming through, and um, I kind of was. I enjoyed taking the young lads under my wing, almost like yeah. Joe Ledley was another one um, when he came through as a, a seventeen-year-old, and you know I used to pick him up every day and take the train and drop him off, and you know James was another one. And when we saw kind of young lads coming through with potential. 
I, I just couldn't help and I just had to, I wanted to try and you know help them and and you know help development if I could so um, yeah no we were always good mates um, I think when we moved that was James kind of first full season really as a, as a pro yeah I think he broke in the back end of the season before but that was his kind of his first full season he, he did really well so um, we were just like yeah couldn't really believe what was going on um, obviously at the time I think the club were in a lot of financial kind of trouble the season had ended we managed to keep the team in the championship um, so we thought we might be moving because a lot of players had been sold kind okay. of um, they were the back the end of the season yeah basically had to, they had to sell players yeah. to, to get money into the club um, so the likes of Gray and Kavanagh people like that you know we were coming into training and people were just not there anymore and stuff that's what it was like one day they were there the next day they were gone so we got to the end of the season we kind of knew we'd probably have to be sold and then yeah, the other call come in west for west ham for both of us and then yeah before we knew it we was kind of up the m4 and, and in london yeah. did did playing international football prior to going to west ham make you feel that you could play at that level you you were yeah. used to playing against top strikers at you know, not every game, but but occasionally against yeah. these big nations. Yeah, I think um, playing international football helped me massively, give me a lot of confidence. Um, it kind of worked both ways, to be fair, because when I broke into the the national team, I don't know what league we was in then. Maybe it was equivalent of League One now or something. I can't remember. <laughs> but so it was great. In a way, it was nerve-wracking because I'd never kind of played at that level. I felt yeah. a bit inferior being in yeah, the yeah. world squad. You know, the top players playing at top clubs and I'm coming in playing, you know, in a, in, a, in a lower league kind of team. How would the players kind of look at me? Would they think he deserves to be here? I've been there, mate. Yeah, so that's how I initially thought. Um, but then, once I'd proven myself at that level then, it flipped and I almost then didn't want to go back to Cardiff and be playing yeah. Plymouth on a Tuesday night you know what I mean so yeah um, because that type of football suited you where you know you you were starting you were starting attacks from the back you were keeping possession yeah. and then you know Plymouth away is yeah. the hustle it's going to be totally different yeah big you know meathead centre forward who's uh, um trying to give you an elbow every time the ball comes up in the air but um, so it actually started affecting my kind of form because I felt like I needed to move I yeah. like I wanted to play in the Premier League because I'd played it at national level and was, I'd started quite well I then started probably getting a bit too big for my boots and thinking I want to play at a higher level now um, and I got a bit of a sulk on a bit of a a cob on about it and it started affecting my form that season I wasn't playing that well James was outshining me to be honest with you yeah um, and um, I really had to kind of get my head together towards the end of the season um, to get playing but I was not worrying about something like that and just focusing on, on playing for Cardiff again and, and helping the club to basically not to get relegated really so um it kind of worked both ways really um, it gave me a lot of confidence but then it also made me feel that you know then I wanted to move and play at a higher level but certainly then moving to West Ham having that behind me the international football I've been playing against 
um, you know, high-caliber players. It certainly made me a lot more confident and more comfortable kind of going into a club the size of West Ham. Yeah. Let me just close this door because these businessmen are making a bit of noise <laughs> here. Mate. come from nowhere. Mate. Right there. What are you doing? Those boys are on the shots there, aren't they? <laughs> they're, they're, they're whiskey tasting or something. Getting Was it coffee they got? Yeah. Um, yeah, I just said there, I've been in your shoes in that respect of, of having that mentality going into the Welsh setup. Yeah. Um, uh, an example, I think I've said it before. Uh, Broke into the Swansea team. Kenny Jacket is the manager. We played a real basic brand of football, really. 4-4-2, you know, getting the second balls was my job. Go away with Wales then for the first couple of times mm. and you're trying to impress and Tosh pulled me to one side and say, hey, where you going? <laughs> Owen Tudor. <laughs> I haven't seen you get on the half turn to get the ball off the back four for playing for Swansea. And then all of a sudden I go back to Swansea and I'm trying to get on the half turn, getting on an angle. Balls were getting played down the line. I'm a million miles off getting yeah. on the second ball. Yeah. And Kenny Jacket told me a new asshole. Yeah. He's pulled me aside. Who the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> you know, thinking you're going away with international football yeah. and think you're this and that. Um, it was a different style of play. But an enjoyable one, even though back in those days it wasn't this, this tight-knit group that it is these days either, either was it? No, it wasn't. Do you know, like, like roommate? <clears throat> who, who's, yeah. you, who's your roommate? Um, well, it was Robert Earnshaw for most of the time, yeah. um, and then Joe Ledley as well. So, so what would have happened if someone would have said, if Mark Evans, you turn up and Mark goes, uh, Gabs, you're with, you're with so-and-so, you're with Big Owen Tudor. It wouldn't happen. Or you're with it Brian Stock. It wouldn't, would it? No, no Mark would get it, he'd get it. Like. It, it, was me and, um, it was me and Ash would be rooming together, coming from Swansea, and then I've turned up before Ash for one game, and... Um, I've gone to collect my key from Mark Evans and I've seen the, the squad list of which room I'm in and I'm in with Carl Fletcher, right? The walk to the room was so slow. Like my <laughs> mind's going over to, what do I do here? Yeah. Surely this is, this is wrong. surely not. This yeah. is wrong. This shouldn't be happening. And I swear to God, I'm stood outside the door for this room. I've got the key in my hand and I wouldn't put the key in. I'm thinking, I don't want to be in the room with Carl Fletcher. I'm panicking like. It turns out Ash was in the room already. Yeah. Um, there was a mistake on the form kind of yeah. thing, but you want to stay with your roommate, no, don't you? Yeah, you always with your roommate. And it's probably still the same, but not the players are not really. If you're no. stuck with this player, well, who cares? Yeah. You look at the current World Squad and there are there are a few lads that room together. Joe Ledley, Wayne Hennessy are like inseparable even like if Adam Matthews is in the squad yeah he will bunk in their room yeah, so yeah you've got okay. three in a room that's how tight they are um you got Bale and well a lot of the time he'll room with Adam Matthews if he was in the squad you've got Ramsey and Gunter but then you've got a lot of lads now that Joe, to Joe and Taylor's yeah. left to room together yeah you've got a lot of lads now like to room on their own um football has probably gone a bit more that way um, where you know you get your own room um, and that's what I would try and do if, if Mark Evans had got it wrong where I wasn't with Ernie then Mark I want a single room yeah. rooming on my own but then he would give it oh we can't the FAW yeah, yeah. money and all that and if so you weren't one of the biggest yeah. you knew Bellas was in his own yeah. room so um, you know you'd probably end up having to room with someone else but it wouldn't be enjoyable as you said you're like you don't want to be in there kind of thing 
Um, it's almost torture, isn't it? Because I then had a, probably close to two years without being in the squad. And in that time, uh, like my level had dropped and Ash had gone on to another level uh, upwards. And then I've been called into the squad real late. And yeah. I, I phoned Ash and said, hey, Ash, you guess who's back? <laughs> guess who's back? And we rooming together and he's gone, nah. Is that what he said? Nah, I room Pied by you my, off. I room by myself now. Yeah, so, he does. Oh, oh, fair enough, Ash. Wow. <laughs> Surely, like, you just... Nah, he'd gone big time, what? mate. He'd forgotten his That's roots. That's poor for him. He'd forgotten his roots. You he was what? comfortable. This you know happened to me. Like, when I was at Crystal Palace, um, and Joe Ledley signed in a January window, all up until that point, I'd roomed on my own. Yeah. Quite happily rooming on my own, happy in my own company, blah, blah, blah. Joe signs, first away game... He's got gone to the secretary and said, he I'm, rooming, to be in with you. I'm rooming with Gabs. Like, he not even like, didn't ask the question to me, I'm rooming with Gabs. So, get to the hotel and we're, we're like rooming together. Like, I, I didn't, I would never say like, no, hang on a minute, I've gone to another level, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> You've just got here. I like my own company. <laughs> no, not a chance. Like, he was like, okay, no problem. So, we ended up rooming like for the rest of that season. So, yeah. It's poor for Mash that. I expected better from him, to be honest with you. Was, um, Remember where you came from. Well, there we go, isn't it? Maybe he just didn't like me as much as I thought, you know? Maybe. Maybe your tees were inadequate. They were wrong. <laughs> he used to keep me up all the time. He used to love a late-night bath and that. I'm yeah. thinking, Ash, come on. Let me get to sleep, mate. What was that like, Joe Ledley? Coming Crystal Palace from Celtic? Yeah, from so Celtic, So your old yeah. mate, you've looked after him. You've given him lifts when he's a young kid at Cardiff. Yeah. Did you have a did you have a part to play in him coming to Palace? Um, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Really? Yeah, Tony Pulis was the manager at the time, and he got on the phone to me and was like, "Look, persuade Joe to come to okay. to come to us." So um, I think Wayne Hennessy signed at the same time as well. So um, so yeah, Joe was um, I'm in an hour and a bit to be fair. He, you know, Celtic was a big club. He, he'd done really well there. Mm. Um, he wasn't sure about coming um, at the time. Um, Crystal Palace, we were struggling a bit in the Premier League. There was, you know, the thoughts that we might get relegated and stuff. So I had to kind of persuade him really and, and tell him about the lads we had, um, the manager we had. Um, I said, look, Joe, we won't go down, mate. Trust me, we won't go down. And obviously, if we get you and a couple more, you know, I'm sure we'll kind of stay up. And he ended up signing then in the end. So. Um, so it was good actually, because obviously we, you know, I'd seen him come through as a young lad at, at Cardiff. I knew straight away. We all knew, to be fair. First training session when he trained with us, really, we were like who's this boy? Yeah, I, mean, I can remember me and Ernie talking about him, saying, "This boy's ready now," kind of thing. Why though? Maturity in his yeah, play with just Joe. Yeah, maturity in his play. I think we we trained on Ninian Park, I think, and we I think Lenny Lawrence put on like a possession session. And like he didn't give the ball away, I don't think, once. Every time the ball came into him, you know, he was composed. He just seemed to make the right decision. And you don't tend to see that in a young lad, especially when they, they move from training with their own age up into the first, you know, a bit nervous. They're not yeah. used to the pace of things, the physicality. But he just looked ready. And I just remember after training, me and Ernie talking, and we were like, yeah, he's a good player. He's going to be a good player. And, you know, he was straight in then after that. You know, he... Um, so it was great. I didn't think I'd have another opportunity to kind of be in a team with him after that. So it was great him kind of coming back 
Um, and obviously, yeah, you know, we stayed up that season comfortably in the end. I think we were kind of mid-table by the end of that season. But. And for you, Gabs, from a personal perspective, 49 caps? Yeah. Stuck on 49, I know, mate. I know, That's got to hurt a little bit. Um, it does, yeah. And it doesn't, because I suppose... How did it finish? Did did you say you you weren't playing for Wales anymore? Did no. you just never get that? No, it was... Um, I suppose I, I just wasn't playing. Like, I... I mean, I went back to Cardiff um, for a year before I finished and that coincided kind of with the Euros qualification campaign. So, um, you know, I'd been in the squads the first kind of two or three games, but um, I wasn't playing then for Cardiff. So, you know, as you know, it's very difficult for an international manager to kind of pick a, a player if he's not playing for his club. So that's kind of what happened, really. I, I stopped getting picked in the remaining squads because I wasn't playing regular football. But um, I suppose it's when I look at it as a whole, looking back now, it's kind of 49 more caps than I thought I'd ever get. You know, as a young lad growing up, I mean, I never even thought I'd, I'd get the opportunity to play for my country. I can remember the first time I kind of got picked in the under-18 squad and I thought that was, you know, the, the, the greatest thing in the world. So to kind of get 49 caps is, I'm proud to be fair, but yeah, I would have liked to have got to 50. Um, I can remember um, Andorra, the first game of the, the Euro qualifiers and um, it was the night before the game and we, we'd gone down for dinner and I've gone in the lift to go back to my room and Chris Coleman comes in the lift. <laughs> with me so um, the doors kind of close and I've gone to the gaffer look you know I'm on 49 caps didn't you um, any chance of uh, yeah. you know if we're, we're three and up tomorrow any chance of me coming on and obviously he just kind of started laughing and yeah, stuff yeah. so I was you know, having a bit of banter with him and stuff but but it was one of those things as well where the early qualifying games there wasn't really an opportunity you know for he me would to come have if on. He could have. Yeah, I think he would have because he, he is that kind of guy yeah. as well. Um, but Andorra, the way that game went, you know, we were one 0 down. Um, Bale obviously scored a free kick late, so there was no real opportunity there. Um, who do we play then? Was it Bosnia? Bosnia, Bosnia Cyprus. Cyprus. Bosnia was like a nil-nil, I think K- it was. Uh, and Kingy got sent King off got against sent Cyprus. got sent off against Cyprus. So the first three games were really tight and, you know, cagey. So there wasn't really an opportunity for me to come on. And then by then, I don't know if I... I think Belgium, I was... You know, that was a tight one again. Yeah. Um, and then after that then, I wasn't in the squads then. So it's just the way it went, really. I, I tried. I mean, I... I told him, you know what I mean? But um, it was just the way it went and I, I couldn't really do much about it, to be fair. And the success afterwards, I know as a character, you, you're not one to be bitter and, and or have any of those feelings. Mm. Like, even myself, as a guy who played in a handful of a handful of games for Wales, I think, ooh, that would have been nice to have yeah. just been involved in a couple yeah. of squads and yeah. just been in the mix for the Euros. For you, obviously, that's going to hurt you a little bit more. You know, being being that the fact that you stopped playing for Wales just at the start of that campaign, mm. and then they go on to do what they're doing. Um, you could put yourself in that dressing yeah, more than I could. Yeah, I mean, I, it didn't hurt me. Um, I would have loved to have been there, um, just for the simple fact that I knew it was going to happen. 
like because I'd been in the early squads, I could sense the the atmosphere of the group, what was possible, the the things that had changed and stuff. And I knew I knew straight away like something's going to be po something possible, um, possibly could happen here. Um, so obviously, yeah, to play in a major tournament would have been amazing for me. Um, and obviously, with a group of lads who I'd spent a lot of time with, um, and you know being for so many tough results, bad results yeah. and stuff, to actually then... And helped a lot of these young yeah, players come through. experience the other side of things would have been great for me, but but I, I wasn't hurt or sad in, in a bad way. It was quite emotional for me, to be fair, being there, watching it. Mm. I'd never been that emotional before, never felt that nervous because cause of that, really, because I knew all the lads, because I had been through all the tough times kind of with them seeing the other side of things and seeing the lads grow and develop and playing with such confidence and stuff, it it just filled me with joy, to be honest yeah. with you. And the next best thing was being there, kind of watching. If I couldn't be there with them on the pitch, it was being there even just, you know, as a support. I mean, I was working there with media, but um, it was unbelievable. I mean, I, f I felt as much joy and as excitement, I'm sure, as, as the players did. So. I, I can definitely, uh, I know exactly how you're feeling mm. because I've shared that dressing with, with those players less than you, but that's how I felt. I understand. never get emotional watching mm. football. No. And then in that one, every goal that went in, I was getting more and more excited. Yeah. You know, fist pumps. Yeah. I used to mock people who <laughs> celebrated goals the way that I did during that competition. Yeah. But I, I knew as well. Like you say, you knew this was coming. Yeah. I knew. I mean, it made retirement for me far easier because I saw what was happening with Wales, mm. a way to be involved in the media side in, in with the Welsh language. Yeah. It helped me because I thought this France malarkey. This this is a huge, huge opportunity that could yeah. happen. You know. Yeah. Well, all all the conditions were right. It all came together at the right time. You know. Um, yeah. But for us, seeing exactly what went on, I know everybody is aware what went on but seeing it firsthand what Chris Coleman had yeah. had built on after Gary Speed that that's what made yeah. us believe isn't it yeah well people I'm not sure people are aware um, totally you know all the little things people find out second hand yeah, after, yeah don't people they? find out second hand but there's a lot of things that we'll know that a lot of people won't know uh, which will you know contribute to to what happened um, and it was a you know a difficult time really, a crossroads really for Chris Coleman and Welsh football off the back of the previous qualifying campaign. Um, you know, he was lucky to probably keep himself in the job and I still remember those fans in Andorra saying Coleman out when it was 1-0 or 1-1 I think. Um, and then Bell pops up with a goal um, and we win that first game. I can remember that was the first game obviously where we changed the system, we played three at the back played Bale in a different formation yeah. and even as players days leading up to that game against Andorra the players were like what's he doing like three at the back why are we playing three at the back against Andorra we don't need to do that we've never done that before he's best for Gabs to get his 50th <laughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe that was his plan yeah. um, but even the players were questioning a little bit you know um, so that first game that first result was huge um, and then the Bosnia one was probably even bigger, that draw. Yeah, I, I think that's what got the players believing and the fans kind of believing um, in the team. Um, 
and I mean, there's so many other things. I mean, even the medical side of things, you know, the um, the bond between the, the players and the medical staff, the the medical staff that come in, uh, the quality of them, um, you know, their knowledge and expertise, um, the FAW with a marketing campaign. I think I think it was the most money they've ever spent on a marketing campaign for a qualifying um, campaign. So, um, you know, the whole together stronger slogan thing, everything. All the conditions were, were right. Um, and then you had the manager who become a different person almost. Yeah. More professional, you know, speaking in front of the players, he become more kind of confident. He knew exactly what he wanted, as I said, with the system. Um, he knew he had stats or this, that, the other, this is how many points we need to qualify. This is what teams are qualified with over the last few years. We need to score this amount of goals. We need to... You know, he was fully focused, even to the point of, I don't want anyone going out and having a drink. If we got a double head, I don't want anyone going out having a drink, which is what, we, you know, we used to do if we had a Saturday, Tuesday or whatever. Yeah. We wouldn't think twice about maybe going out Saturday night or some of us and having a few drinks and then you're playing on a Tuesday. And Cookie initially had no kind of problem with that. But when he come back for that campaign, he knocked that on the head kind of straight away. So there's so many things that all kind of came together at the, at the right time. And it would have been great to obviously have uh, been a part of that right to the end, um, playing in a major tournament. But um, but I'm still as proud as, as if I played in it, I think, having witnessed it firsthand, what yeah. the players did. So. Like to feel it emotionally as yeah. a fan as oh, well. it's incredible. I mean, that first game, I've never, I woke up, I've never been, I felt sick, like I've never been so nervous in all my life. When I, I never suffered with nerves when I was playing. Um, and maybe that was why I did, because obviously being close to the boys and knowing I can't do anything to help whatever's gonna happen today and stuff, maybe that's why I felt so nervous. But the emotions, I, I haven't experienced those emotions since playing. Mm. And that's probably one of, the biggest things, I mentioned the routine earlier when you finish playing that routine that you have every day. The other thing that I miss from playing is the emotions. I don't think you can recreate the emotions you feel as a footballer in any other job that you do after any other walk of life. The, you know, the highs, the lows, the score and a goal, um, you know, how you get, maybe when you get injured, like the, the bonding that you have with your teammates and stuff, those kind of emotions that you go through, even in just in a 90 minutes, you can't replicate that in anything else. So uh, that's kind of what I felt again when I was watching the boys at the Euros. Yeah, so, uh. You're talking about emotions, having been through it all with uh, Mark Hughes, John Toshak, mm. Gary Speed, Chris Coleman. What's your memories of, obviously, a man that you played with in, in Gary Speed with what happened? Um, obviously, what happened was uh it still is kind of tough to take to be fair i still remember when i heard the news and i was i was driving in my in my car i think over hammersmith flyover in london and it came on on the radio and i was just like i couldn't i thought this is some kind of joke or something because um obviously when you're working with him on international duty and, and stuff like that you never would have even thought anything like that could happen. I mean, 
I wouldn't see him as a no. manager. You've played with him as well, yeah. which means you, yeah. when you play with someone, you know them, don't yeah. you? You feel you, you know them more, yeah. Um, I, I, just, I was just shocked. I just never would have thought that um, could have happened. You know, he always seemed um, a warrior, really, you know, a, such a strong kind of character, someone who you kind of looked up to in the dressing room and stuff. So it was devastating. And, you know, I remember... Um, Obviously, then when Cookie took over and that kind of first game, that tribute game we had for him. Yeah. And I remember um, the first day we kind of met up and when we had a meeting um, and they kind of put a tribute um, kind of on the projector to Gary Speed and all the players were just kind of standing there watching this, um, this tribute that had been made for him and it was just like, it was, oh, it was horrible. It was the most emotional thing ever. Yeah, it was just the place was just in silence and it kind of finished. And then even for about two minutes after, nobody kind of said anything. You, you could hear people kind of crying and stuff. It was, it was just, yeah, it was difficult. So I think you have to give credit to Cookie as well, um, taking the job in those circumstances. And, and obviously he found it very difficult initially because you know, Gary Speed was just starting to get the team performing um, and getting results. Um, initially, I think we were playing well, but not getting the results. But then he started getting the results off the back of the performances. So for Cookie then to come in and wonder to himself, probably, what do I do here? Do I change? How do I put my stamp on this? Do I keep things going the same way? It was difficult for him to take over in those circumstances. So, but. I'm just lucky, really. I think I'm lucky to have played with him and lucky to have um, been under his management, really. And, you know, he was the guy that brought me out of international retirement. I'd retired. Okay. I got into my last year of my contract at West Ham. I'd had a lot of injury problems and I kind of prioritised um, my club football, really, because I didn't think I could juggle both. And um, I wanted to prove well, I wanted to get back and just be playing week in, week out. Hopefully, I wasn't sure how many games I'd be able to play almost. It was like a, an experiment, really. So I kind of retired. It's probably something I regret, really. I probably should have said, just, I don't know, don't pick me at this moment in time, maybe. Yeah. Um, but I retired, and then he was the guy that got me out of retirement because he got the job and rung me up and said, will you come back? You know, I'm, I've got these plans, I want to do this. And I mean, I'd, I'd said yes before. As soon as you saw even, it, it yeah, was him calling me. finished the conversation, really. So he's one of the few people that probably could have done that. Um, so I think, you know, that just shows what, what a fantastic guy he was, really. So, um, you know, he's the guy that, you know, Cookie takes a lot of credit, but it, he has to probably take a lot as well because you know he's the guy that probably started everything off you know Mark Hughes initially um, you know John Tashak coming it went down a very different way I think eventually then it needed a change and um, Speedo kind of revolutionised everything again um, and then Cookie put his own eventually put his own kind of stamp on it and, and got that success so and it was Cookie who gave you the last one mate and I was in that squad we played against Holland away oh yes you are going to finish on any international cap. I know we lost. We did get yeah, beat. Yeah. You fucking played well, mate. I did all right, yeah. Um, I hadn't played, actually, for you, about you two... You played two well, Gavs, because you, you <laughs> probably helped James Chester. That was his debut. That was his debut, His yeah. first, your last. Yeah. You just 
You just helped him take his spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it was... Uh, I hadn't played. I think I was at Palace then and I hadn't played. I'd lost my place in the team. Um, and I hadn't played probably about, for about two months. So... Uh, meeting up with Wales, I didn't expect to play really. I was in the squad, but I thought, you know, I'm not going to play. But obviously, it was a depleted squad, um, some pullouts and stuff. So by the time the game came around, I thought, well, I think I'm going to have to play here. There's no one else kind of thing. So um, I really enjoyed that game, actually. Um, I didn't think you were playing to start with, because as the week went on, yeah. I was playing at the back with you in what looked like maybe the shadow team. Yeah. I just remember you shouting at me. Like, I'm like, Gabs, I'm not used to playing centre-half here. I, I was moving out. I was getting out of position. I was, was getting you? excited. And all I could hear was you just wanted was me to... At you? you? just wanted me to protect you. You were thinking, right, yeah. I want bodies around me. That's Get right. back here that's now. That's right. That's what the good defenders do, mate. That's they what it's get all people about, around and doing the work for them. So I was probably blowing out of my ass for you. That's why <laughs> as well. <laughs> So um, I remember it was a good week actually. That we went to that um, was it that Shantney's place? Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember actually. Um, we got a bit, but like it was me, Wayne, and Joe Leddy were knocking about together and stuff. So we got a little bit bored because you couldn't even get like a proper drink in there, could you? Because it's like a health club. Yeah, yeah. They didn't even do like, right, Coca Cola yeah. or anything. So it got to about maybe day three or four, and me and Joe and Wayne just got like, we got to get out of here. I think Wayne had his car. So uh, we just got to get out of here and, you know, it's, it's getting claustrophobic and stuff. You know, we, like, we can't even have a Coke or whatever at the bar. So we ended up driving and just trying to find some, I don't know, Tesco life or somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we ended up finding this like pub. Um, we just headed towards a housing estate and we just found this pub. So we pulled up in this pub and went into this pub and ended up like having a pint. We've got like our full, our like tracksuits on and yeah. everything. Um, so we ended up having a pint and then someone around the corners kind of recognised who we were and we started panicking, thinking, oh my God. And they came over and was like, oh, can we have a photo? And we're thinking, oh no, we can't have a photo. If you stick it up on social media, like we're in our full Welsh kit with a pint of Bex in our hand and stuff, then obviously, like, you know, Cookie's going to constantly email. Yeah. So luckily, like, it didn't come out or whatever, but um, but now that, like, yeah, that was one of, well, my last game, and obviously playing with James Chester, I knew straight away, like, good, this boy's going to be a, a a big asset for Wales as well. Um, um, and enjoyed kind of playing alongside him, and, I mean, he's gone on from that, and... And being that you know fantastic, he's such a consistent player. So, um, but now it was, it was nice. To, it was a nice kind of trip to be involved in. Um, obviously, a nice stadium playing against world class players. And for some of the game, I kind of felt like the old kind of Daniel Gavron a little bit. So I felt like I was rolling back the years a little bit at times. But um, you, Joe, and Wayne have found a pub for a quick pint. <laughs> I think we started this chat on golf. I'll end it. Um, there was me, Joe Allen, and Neil Taylor went for around the golf in the Belfry. Yeah. I have never seen a worse golfer than Neil Taylor. Really? It was embarrassing. <laughs> is he a lefty? Because he's left footed. Does he play if is I he remember, I've, I've tried to banish the memories from my mind. It was so disgusting. But he just <laughs> is he chewed, worse than me? He chewed up the course, mate. Oh, did he? I think he was right handed, but just the divots. I've never seen anything like that <laughs> in my life. Honestly, I haven't. But, uh, he's too yeah. small to play golf, anyway, surely. I've uh, I've kept you long enough, Gabs. We've uh, both got places to be. <laughs> I got to pick my boy up from the nursery. But uh, it's been a pleasure. A little round of golf, second time in a week. I'm sure there'll be more to come, mate. I hope so, mate. Got to keep these minds occupied with retirement. 
Yeah. But good luck with the punditry. Anything to plug the podcast? Um, well, I don't know if we'll be back next season, so I'm not ah, sure. I'll be back. Um, if you plug it now, it'll be back. Yeah, obviously, yeah, you know, Ellis James Feast of Football. Um, How does he get his name on it? And you and you and Robert I Stone? don't know. I don't know. He's running the show. That's wrong. He's right, running the show. Um, we're just his little skivvies, I think. So, uh, yeah, you and Robert, Ellis James, and, and myself um, just putting the, the world to rights, really, the football world to rights. Um, hopefully, we'll be back next season. Um, it's been fairly enjoyable actually doing it with the boys this season. So, hopefully, we'll we'll get a bit more airtime next season and we'll, we'll be back. Um, but no, I'm, I'm actually delighted to be on this one, to be fair, because you've, uh, you've had some, some big hitters on here. I've enjoyed listening to him, um, to be fair with TJ. So I'm, I was waiting for the call, waiting for the call, hoping that I'd, I'd get my opportunity to come on. So, uh, so I'm, uh, yeah. Top man, Gab, spread the word, mate. Get no, someone I else. Will, get get some more big hitters. Who do you me. want? Who do you want? We'll see. I'll have a little thing. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Cheers, mate. Cheers. There we have it. The soothing tones of Mr. Daniel Gabidon. Big thanks to Gabs. Uh, good to catch up with him. Good to get around the golf. And even though he almost messed that up with a booking, it took the big man, the long man, to sort things out. But good to have a chat with him. A uh, bit of insight into his career, his world, um, life after football for him. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it too. Subscribe, leave a review, tell a friend. This was the long man's football world. Goodbye.